Um, like you said, Adam, my husband, he has led worship here a couple times. He's the guy with the spiky black hair. <laughs> That's my guy. And uh, my little girl, Eden, she's usually running around the halls, um, usually in the, the lobby, like screaming, and she loves this place. She has so much freedom here. It's really cool to watch her. Just She loves church. Church! <laughs> so she really loves it here, and uh, we do too. I've been a part of this church for almost two years now, and before that, we were part of the big vineyard in Columbus for, gosh, like over 10 years. I feel really old. <laughs> We've been so fortunate. Um, we had friends that actually invited us here, and we're like, well, why should we, why do we need to leave Vineyard Columbus? We love it. Like, but they're like, come on up. We, we think you should try it out. And I think it was like a month in, the Lord just really spoke to us that we were, spart- we were supposed to start coming here, and we have loved it. So we really appreciate this church a lot. So I want to start off by telling a little bit of my story, for those of you that don't know me, and just a little bit of my testimony. Uh, I grew up as a pastor's kid, so I'm one of those. I'm a PK, and I'm similar to my daughter. I um, grew up twirling in the halls of my mom and dad's small little Methodist church, and uh, I knew all the secret passageways. I knew all the, the right answers. I knew like what to say and how to act, and I was that little poster preacher's kid, you know? I even remember those, do you remember those felt boards? I'm going to date myself a little bit, you know, with like the characters of Jesus and the disciples. I mean, it was, that was my world. And yet, though I knew a lot about Jesus and I knew all the right little answers and everything, I didn't know Jesus. My only concept of God was my dad on the stage and in that robe and <laughs> behind that, that pulpit. And, and I didn't know Jesus until one night. And I can't really explain it. It was kind of a crazy, crazy thing for a little girl to go through, but I was supposed to be sleeping. I was in bed. And I had this vision of Jesus on the cross. And not the best you know, bedtime story for a little girl, (laughs) because it was vivid. It was nothing like any of those little felt cutouts that I'd ever seen, you know? This was like playing out in front of me, and I see Jesus like beaten and bruised and bleeding and and an obvious pain, and all I can hear is, I did this for you, Heather. I did this for you. And I'm like, what? No! And as a little girl, I went screaming and crying into my mom mom, mom and dad's room, and, and she calmed me down, and And she told me what it really meant. And even though I had heard it many times before, it was real to me in a way that I'd never known before. And that night, on the side of her bed, I accepted Jesus as my savior and a sacrifice for me. And even as a young girl, I actually saw things change in my life. It's kind of crazy that I remember this, but I remember being a really bad liar. And I would lie like all the time. I thought I was really good at it. I was really bad at it. But I did it all the time. And I was always catching myself and like, oh yeah, I I told that one, you know. And and I remember even as a little girl, the moment that I met Jesus and I really, he really met me, that was gone. I never had the desire to lie. I didn't have the desire to deceive people or to tell them one thing and really I'm living the other. It was a really cool thing even as a little girl to see that change in my life. And I know for a lot of us here, we have different stories, right? We all come from different places. But as we'll see today, at the heart of God's master plan, this redemption that he's planned out for this world, it's Jesus. And that's the mystery revealed. It's just Jesus. And even as a little girl, 
I could know Jesus. Because that's the coolest part of this gospel, right? The good news is that it's for everybody. It's not for the elite. It's not for the super Christians. It's not for the really cool people that have their life all together. It's for everybody. And that's what we'll be looking at today. So we're continuing our series in Colossians. This passage that we'll be going over today is Colossians 1, 24 through chapter 2, verse 5. And two weeks ago, Danny introduced this series and he gave the background for this letter that Paul is writing to this young church in Colossae. And Daniel hi- or Danny highlighted um, two key themes for Colossians, and I just want to re-highlight those real quick. The first being the supremacy of Christ. And if you were here last week, you got to hear Penny share about that. It's pretty awesome to see her back. (laughs) Um, And she shared about that that Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. And that he has supremacy over the church and over over, um, redemption and over uh, the world. And then the other theme, the second theme, which I'll be talking about today, is the revelation of who God is is available to all of us, all of us. So let's go ahead and pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that all that you have to offer is available to all of us, God. Thank you. I just see your arms on the cross just open so much wider than we give you credit for. God, your arms are just so wide and you long, long to embrace us We thank you for the love that you have for this world, God, for every person in it. And Jesus, we pray you would just come. We pray your Holy Spirit would just come right now. Would you you give me the words? Would you give me your peace right now? And I pray your your word would be made known, that that you would make this come alive for us today. I pray these things in your precious name. Amen. So, Let's go ahead and uh, look at Colossians. Um, we're starting again, like one, chapter 1, 24. We'll be reading through verse um, 5 in chapter 2. In this passage, we get a glimpse of where Paul is kind of coming from. And he's already done this, if you remember, in uh, chapter 1 in the beginning. He's kind of like, this is why I'm writing this letter, and this is who's writing it. But he goes a little deeper in this passage we'll be looking at today. It's almost like he knows that this this, this church has never met him, right? Because this, this is someone that he led to the Lord. They, the actual Colossian has started this church. So he knows he's, they've never met him. So it's almost like he's kind of showing them his cards, right? Because if somebody I didn't know was trying to like preach to me, I'd be like, yeah, I don't know you. <laughs> but he's, he's showing his intent and his hope for the church here. And he's kind of showing them where he's really coming from. So let's go ahead and read the passage. And open your apps or your, your Bible, and we'll go ahead and read. So, Colossians 1.24, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission of God, the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
He is the one that we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may, be, no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So right away, we see that, he, that Paul kind of makes mention of his situation, right? He's a suffering servant. And what we know about Paul at the time that he's writing this letter is that he's in Rome and he's in, under house arrest. And he is honestly, he's probably awaiting, awaiting death. He knows that this might not end well, and, and we know from history that it doesn't. So he's under house arrest, but he has such a heart for this church He says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. We know that Paul has had a hard life. Ever since he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he's gone through a lot, and we can actually see that in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 30. It says, I've been in prison more frequently and been flogged more severely and have been exposed to death again and again, Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in open sea, and I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers and bandits and from my fellow Jews, and in danger from the Gentiles. Endangered city and the country at sea from false believers. I have labored and toiled. I've often gone without sleep some insomnia. I have known hunger and I've known thirst and I've gone often without food. I've been cold and naked and besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. So Paul has had it rough, right? And yet, he says in this passage, he rejoices. Why? What would make you want to rejoice for that kind of suffering? And it makes me think, like, what's his motivation here? Um, it's, it's interesting that he is willing to take the brunt of suffering and even persecution for this church he's never even met. I love this, this illustration, and I'm, I, I can't take credit for it, but it's a good picture of what Paul's going through here. He says he's like an old, weathered, seasoned oak tree, talking to a small sapling that's just started to grow up nearby. He says, soon it'll be autumn, and the winds will start to blow hard and cold, but you'll be safe. I'll watch over you. The wind can do its worst to me. I don't mind losing a few branches in the process. What matters is that while you're young and weak, I should take the full force of wintry wind on myself and let you grow in safety. What a cool picture. He finds purpose in taking the brunt of these trials for the sake of their growth and for sharing in Christ's sufferings. So what does it mean when he says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions? This is a passage that 
And when I first read it, it just kind of like tripped me up. I'm like, what does he mean by that? That doesn't sound right. And as I started digging into this one, I realized that there are like books and books and books of theology just on this one verse. Because a lot of theologians have different things to say about it. They're not sure exactly what he meant. But as I, as I researched it, I came to this conclusion. You know what? There's nothing we can add to Christ's redemptive work, right? When he says on the cross, it is finished, it's finished. <laughs> There's nothing we can add to his atoning work. So we don't add to that suffering, but we are extensions of it into this broken world. We are Jesus in this broken world, right? Christ's suffering death on the cross was completely sufficient. We are now extensions of this into the broken world. We walk in the fire for other people because we're extending Christ's sufferings. We're showing them that, you know what, we're not afraid of pain and suffering because we have Jesus Christ. Because we know that pain and suffering is not the greatest evil in this world. We don't like it, heck, I don't like it, but it is not the greatest evil in this world. We know who is. And we know that he wants to use pain and suffering and trials and sorrow to derail our lives, but Jesus says, he wants to carry us through it, right? He says in John 16, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. We do not live this life alone. Jesus says, you are not suffering for me, you're suffering with me. Oh, there's a difference there. We don't serve a God that doesn't know our pain. This is why he came, right? That's why he came to earth, is so he could actually experience the pain and suffering that we go through. He can identify with it because he was there. He went through it. He knows rejection. He knows betrayal. He knows physical pain. He knows loss of a loved one, right? He knows it, but it, it's not just a past reality, it's a present reality because he's with us now. There's times in my life where I've gone through um, some pretty rough pain and suffering and I'll be honest, even though I like to not admit it, those are the times where I feel like the closest to God. Sometimes some of those, those are the times where I feel like I've grown the most because I've been so desperate for him. I need him, man, more than anything, and he's there. He is so close to the brokenhearted. He has such a heart for those that are going through pain. And you know what, though? As I've realized over time, you know, God, I want to be that desperate for you even on the good days not just the bad ones, not the days that I'm going through that pain, but the days that I'm, I'm having a good day, help me to remember you, help me to need you and be desperate for you, just like on those days where I was on my knees. So why is Paul willing to go through all of this for people he's never met? What is his motivation here? We see a little bit of this in, in chapter two, verse one. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you, for those at Laodicea and for those who I've not met personally. Paul is working tirelessly for these people and he has a love for these people that they didn't earn. He's never met them. And it kind of reminds me of when, and, and I'm sure you all can, those that are parents in the room can relate to this. When, when you hold your, your baby in your arms for the first time, and I remember holding my little girl Eden in my arms, she hadn't done anything for me. I mean, she'd given me a lot of pain and suffering. <laughs> she had, you know, been crying and pooping and already, and, and I'm done nothing for me, but I loved her. I just loved her, which is an intense, protective love, a mother's love that was just like already there. 
And I, and I, I think that's the same kind of thing with Paul. Like he, he feels such an incredible protective love for these people he's never even met. And the second motivation, which is key for when we, when we feel like we're called into something, do we love the people and do we feel called by God? And we know this, 27, or verse 25 through 27, he says, I've become its servant by the commission of God, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we know this about Paul, right? We know that ever since the road of Damascus, he's been real clear on his purpose. He knows he's called to reveal the mystery, which is Christ, to everybody. So nobody is left out. And I love that. What a cool call. Nobody's left out. I get to tell the world that nobody's left out. Anybody here been through middle school? <laughs> Anybody here been through high school? We know what it's like to be left out, right? We know what it's like to be on the outside, to want to be on the in crowd, to want to be on the cool side, you know, on the cool table in the lunchroom. I never got there. I tried, but I never was cool enough. <laughs> so we all know what it's like to feel like we're on the outside of something. But that's like what the Gentiles felt. The Jews were the chosen people, and here they were. They're like, really? Can it really, this is for us too? We can know God too? The secret plan of God, the mystery of God, is that it is for the whole world. It's for everybody. Verse 27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I, I want to talk about that just real quick. If you guys were here the last two weeks, Danny and Penny talked about what it meant to be in Christ. Do you remember that? I'm going to do the cool thing that Danny did. Are you ready for this little illustration? <laughs> so this is, this is us, right? My little paint chip. Um, and this is Christ. And this is us in Christ, right? Everything attributed to Jesus is now attributed to us. How sweet is that? But what does he mean by, in Christ, the hope of glory? When I first read this verse, I was like, well, yeah, you know, like we all have the hope of, of salvation, of heaven one day, right? Because, you know, we have Jesus, we get to go to heaven. But Paul does not use the word heaven here. He purposely uses the word glory. And what does glory mean? The glory means God's presence, his manifest presence, the hope of his presence with us. The, the presence that was in the Holy of Holies, right, that no one could go in except once a year, and you had to be super holy, <laughs> you know, and no one could, could go close to that, and yet that is what is in us. Isn't that crazy? The presence of God, the Holy of Holies, is in us. We are now the temple. And this is crazy amazing news, but I'll be, I'll be honest with you, I don't know that I live that all the time. I don't know that I remember that I have the holy of holies inside of me, because there are days, I'm gonna tell you, where I have been on little sleep because of my little girl, and I'm sh short and snappy with my husband Adam, and I haven't spent time with Jesus, and I forget so easily that I carry glory in me. I carry Jesus with me. Um, Joni Erickson Tata, does anyone, does anyone know who she is? She uh, became a quadriplegic 
after a tragic diving accident as a teenager, and she has an incredible ministry um, associated with Billy Graham, and, and um, I remember seeing the movie, okay, it's like a dated movie, but it's a good one, of her life story, and I remember it always impacted me, and I found this quote, man, it's convicting, it's so good. She says, we can afford to be complacent about God. We can't afford to be complacent about God's glory. The fact, the fact is that putting your Christian life on autopilot is the same thing as walking in the flesh. When we become unaware, when we forget, when we take something so precious for granted, our prayers become tedious, they become dry, the, our jobs become lackluster, and our relationships sag under the weight of selfishness. What's worse, our communion with our Savior and our best friend turns into a chore. The Lord himself seems to lose vitality in our estimation, and he becomes little more than a wooden icon in our hearts, a mere measuring rod for good behavior. Someone who has purchased our salvation once upon a time, someone in whom we believe in a general, distracted sort of way. Hmm. So how do we not become complacent? How do we keep growing and maturing as Christians? If we look at verse 28 and 29, Paul says, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So we see, we see Paul's intention here for this letter. He strenuously contends with all energy that Christ gives him to proclaim, to correct, and to teach. So I kind of see it as like to plant, to prune, and to grow everyone so that we, be, we, we may become mature in Christ. We know that Paul is an apostle, right? He's not, he's not a conference speaker that just comes to the weekend and holds a revival session and then leaves, right? He's a church planter. He's connected to these churches. He loves these churches, and he wants to see them grow. And I think that's why our church is so special, because we have a staff that wants that too, right? We know the heart of our staff. It's not to, to push some agenda, right? They desire for us to grow. And what's so cool is that's why we come to church, right? We want to hear Jesus proclaimed. We want to learn about him. We want to grow in our understanding, but also our experience of him. And we, if we're willing, we even have a chance to be corrected and counseled by our community. Because we all have blind spots, right? We need to be reminded in our community of our role and our purpose in this kingdom, right? So let's move on to chapter two. And we'll look, through, we'll look at um, verse one through five here. And, and as I read this, I, nothing really stuck out to me necessarily, but as I started digging a little deeper, man, these words in English sometimes are a little benign. <laughs> but when you look at, sometimes you look at that Greek, it's like, whoa, Paul meant a lot more here than I realized. So he says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not met me personally. My goal and ambition is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. So he prays that they be encouraged and united in love. And when I, word, I read that word encouraged, um, I realized Paul's not saying like, oh, you guys are just such a great church. I just wanna encourage you. Um, <laughs> like, you just keep doing what you're doing. You're just great. You know, that's not some flattery that he's giving. The word here for encouraged, it means 
and enabling, whether through comfort or exhortation, to meet some difficult situation with confidence and courage. It's like a battle cry. <laughs> you know, it's like, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to have courage of heart, right? And then he's like, I want you to be united in love, united. We can do this, you know? Like an like army, like getting their battle gear on, and, and they're like, we're gonna have courage, and we're gonna be united, and nothing can come against us, you know? That's the picture here of that, of that verse. As we move on to, to verse two and, and through three, so that they may know the full riches, that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. The word know here, it's not just no, right? When I was a little girl, I knew a lot, but, but I didn't know. And that's what this word is, epigenosis, epinosis, maybe? Uh, to know firsthand, personal, experiential knowledge. Now, there were two groups, if we remember, two groups that were coming against the, Col- the Colossi church. And there were the Gnostics, who believed that only certain people could get the secret special knowledge of the higher beings of this world, right? They were like, oh, you know, you, you're not intelligent enough to understand the secrets that we have. So it's very much this in and out, like, you're on the outside, you know, we have the special knowledge here, and they exalted the spiritual realm much more than the, the physical. And then the second group that was coming against the church were the Judaizers, right? And they said, well, sure, Jesus is great, but... You also need to do X, Y, Z to be, you know, approved by God, to be, to be acceptable to God. You need to be circumcised. You need to um, observe all of our rituals and our holidays. But Paul says no. The word here, epigenosis, the root is, is gnosis, right? And that's where the Gnostics actually get their name, gnosis, So the secret, hidden, personal insight. But Paul is saying, yes, yes, you need to know. You need to know, sis, you know? You need to know, sis. But it's not a secret. It's not a secret anymore. It's not your own insights. It's the mystery revealed, and it's Christ. And he's he's available for everybody. Everybody gets in. The knowledge of God, the experiential knowledge of God, don't think of it as this anti-rational, mystical experience. That's not what we're talking about. Like when I was a little girl, the truth I had heard many, many times, but there was a difference between it being in my head and me knowing it that I know, that I know, that I know that Jesus died for me. And that's what we're talking about. The truth, it's like it, it overflows into our whole being. We become, it's experientially real. And if I told you about my husband, Adam, I could tell you about him, and you could even look him up on Facebook and stalk him and be like, oh, you know, I get it, oh, that guy. And you could learn a lot about him, but you wouldn't know him, right, until you met him and until you started to hang out with him. And you realized, wow, he's this, like, cool rocker guy, but he's also working on his PhD. He's a smart guy, too. You start learning, actually, because of the relationship with him, and you start getting an idea of who he really was. And that's what it means to know Christ. Have you really met him? Have you met him? Do you know him? Do you know how good he is? How much he loves you? The last part that Paul says is, I want you to have wisdom, and I want you to have discernment. He says, in Christ, in whom all are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may be deceived by sound, fine-sounding arguments. 
I recently watched this clip of Oprah, <clears throat> and she was actually interviewed and, and asked, strangely enough, what her favorite verse was in the Bible. And she said, oh, it's, it's Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and you will get the desires of your heart. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. But then she went on to tell everyone what she thought that meant, and she said, I'm going to try to be a little bit Oprah up here, okay? <laughs> um, channel my Oprah. Um, she said, delight yourself in kindness and in love and in compassion, and you will get the desires of your heart. And I'm like, Meh. little red flag went off. I'm like, that sounds right, but that's not right, because I know. I know my Jesus, and it's all about delighting in him, right? It's delighting in him that he changes me from the inside out, where that kindness and that compassion flows from who I am now in Christ, not because I'm delighting in just kindness for kindness sake. It's because I, I know the price he paid for me. I know the kindness that he had on this earth toward those that were broken, and I want to be like him. He says he wants them to continue in discipline and faith. He says, lastly, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. And again, this is cool, this is these are both military words. Um, disciplined is good order, rank, ready to obey command and take direction. And the other word, let's see, and firm your faith, the word firmness and solidarity, it means a soldier's bulwark, that he's like immovable. It's like a faith is immovable. I love that picture. So they're totally ready. They're not going to be taken, taken aback or shocked by the enemy's charge. They're, gonna be, they're not going to be caught off guard because their faith is firm. And these are the things that, that Paul is, is kind of saying before he goes into the rest of the letter, right? He's like, these are the things I'm hoping for you. This is my intent. Don't think I'm out here to try to, try to make you into something because I want you to, because I have some agenda here. I just want your best. I want, your, your, I want you to, to really end well, right? In closing, um, as a kid, I thought... Like I said, I, I thought I was, it was all about getting the answers right, right? <laughs> I thought to be a good Christian, you had to know all the little, like, you know, Noah's Ark, you know, questionnaire, and I could fill it all out and get it all right. And, you know, is, is Jesus Lord? Yes, true. I got that one. Is, is, did he come in a manger? True. I got that one. Is he born of a virgin? Yes, got that one, you know? <laughs> But when I met Jesus personally and when I actually got to know him, it was weird, but the, the questions in me started to change. Instead of true-false questions, from my head, it became yes-no questions of my life. He said, will you submit your life to Jesus Christ? Yes or no? Will you turn control over every aspect of your life to me? Yes or no? Will you yield your thoughts? Will you yield your control of your money? Will you yield your control to your future and your love life to me? Yes or no? Oh, man. As we walk more with Jesus, we need to continue to yield our will to him. This is how we get to know him. This is how we, we empty ourselves of ourselves and we say, okay, God, you get the control of our life. We trust you. 
are we continuing to submit to Jesus more? Are we continuing to say yes to Christ in more areas of our life, in deeper ways? Recently, um, gosh, it's a little less than a year ago, um, I had to do this again. I was fighting something <laughs> with Jesus. And I was up at the Vineyard Church in Grand Rapids, really sweet church. And I'm sitting in the back, and I know that God is tugging on my heart. I know he wants me to deal with some stuff. And I, I got this picture, by his grace, I got this picture of like a car trying to start, and he's putting in the key, and he's like, and I'm like fighting him. I'm like, no, I'm not going to surrender. You know, like, I was just turning over and turning over. And he's like, Heather, please, I want this for you. This is, this is the best I have for you. And I'm like, God, I don't know. I, if I'm honest, I don't know if you're good. That's at the root of this. I don't know that I completely trust that you're good. Do you really want my best? Are you gonna send me to China? <laughs> if I fully surrender to you, are you gonna do something crazy with my life? Yes, but it's all for my good. And it's all for his glory. And so I went forward that morning and, and I got prayer from this sweet couple and, and sometimes when I, I sense the Holy Spirit, my head shakes. And that it was really cool. It, God kind of used it to confirm something. They're like, we just sense that you're supposed to say yes to the Lord. And I'm like, yes, yes. I'm doing that right now. I'm doing that right now. And I know that's what he wants me to do. And, and I, I, okay, yes, I'm saying yes to him. And um, it's interesting, Billy Graham, the great evangelist, he said, no man can be said to be truly converted in Christ who has not bent his will to Christ. He may give intellectual asset to the claims of Christ and may have even emotional religious experiences. However, he is not truly converted until he has surrendered his will to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior and Master. Do you know how much God wants to reveal himself to you? Do you want to know who you really are? Do you want to know what you're really meant to do on this earth? you got to talk to your creator. Jesus wants to tell you what you're here for. And he wants to tell you about a bigger plan that you can be a part of, something bigger than even you. And it's his kingdom. It's his, 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 the reality of his reign and rule breaking into this earth. And I, I, I love that picture because I know that he's gaining more ground every day. There's more and more light in this world than there was yesterday. How cool is that? Because my God loves me and he pursues me and I know he's pursuing everyone. He wants them to be reconciled with him, with his father, so that we can know, know God. Why don't we go ahead and stand up for some ministry time? For those of you that um, are new to the church, we're just gonna wait on the Lord for a little bit. And, and what, what that means is that we just wanna create some space for God to maybe speak to us, to for him to give us some insight as to what he wants to do in our lives. Because this isn't just about what, what I say, it is all about what he wants to do in us. So let's go ahead and quiet ourselves and, and we're gonna pray and see what he wants to kinda speak to us about today. Mm. Just come Lord, come Holy Spirit. God, we know, we know you have the best for us. And we know that you want the best for us. That you're this kind father that wants to give us good gifts. 
Hmm. Let that truth just pervade into our soul right now, Lord. Hmm. We just give you this time. We just wait on you and ask for you to speak in Jesus' name. As we were uh, praying for the service tonight, or this morning, sorry, um, I sensed something similar to actually what Pam had, had shared during worship about our, our hearts being unlocked. And, and I got a different picture though. I saw our hearts like, the, the stuff like on the outside was like melting. And like our hearts were softening to God a little bit. And so, um, for prayer, for prayer time today, ministry time, I, if there's anyone here, and I hope I say this right, if there's anyone here that feels like they need to do some business with God, that their heart is finally like, you have a little bit of hope that maybe God really is good, and that the things that he's been wanting you to surrender to, that they are better than the things that you have right now. Like there's something in you that's, that's been kind of like me, churning over and over, and like, mm, not sure if I want to give that completely to God. And if that's you and you want to do some business with God today, would you come forward and get prayer? And the, the second thing, I got a picture last night of um, a group of sheep, and there was this big, like, pen, like a fence around it, and this cool group of sheep, and they were all hanging out and having a good time. <laughs> and then there was this one sheep that was, like, off to the side, and it was completely facing away. And I felt like it was just, there's people here, when I was talking about being, like, an outsider, that that's how you feel when you come into this church. You still feel like an outsider for whatever reason. Maybe it's the stuff that you have in your life. Maybe it's because you just haven't pressed in, you know, and gotten a part of a small group or, or maybe just some fear there to risk something, to be known. But whatever it is that's holding you back, I want to invite you. Get prayer tonight. Ask the Lord to give you courage of heart, to press in, press in to that that unity that he wants you to have in the body. Um, and, and again, last thing I wanna, wanna share too is I had another a picture of, of a woman with a necklace on, and, and it might be for a woman, it might be for a guy, not necessarily a necklace, but she was looking at herself in the mirror and she was you know, making sure her hair was right and her necklace was just right, and, and I felt like God was, was saying that necklace was like materialism. And I'm like, okay, what, is, what does that mean, God? And he said, she's more caught up in, in what the world thinks of her than what I think of her. And he said, look in the mirror again. And in my mind's eye, I was just like, okay. You know, and I look in the mirror, and I'm like, what? And she has this like, crown on, and she has this robe on, and she's just gloriously radiant. And I'm like, wow, that's how you see her. And you know, God wants to show us how he sees us, because it really transforms the way that we see ourselves. And we start living for him, and we live for his approval, and not chasing after the approval of this world, right? So if that's, that's you, can, would you start coming forward, and as the band uh, plays, uh, we're just going to pray for you. Um, are there any more words? Or? Let me just share one quick word, too. Mm -hmm. I, I had this word last night, or a picture, and I, I felt like one, the Lord wanted me to share it today, but I I, I saw a person with a guitar, sort of like an acoustic guitar like this one up here, 
and but it was it was solid it was a solid body and and because of that there was no resonance there was no life to the when when you strummed it it was just kind of dead and and then i saw a picture of of a of the lord just starting to chisel out the the wood in the in the center chisel it out and make it make it whole so that there was that tone there was that life there was that resonance in what that that guitar was able to produce and i, I felt like the lord said that there there are going to be a lot of people here this weekend who are just filled you're filled with life you're filled with concerns you're filled with needs and jobs and family and and you're you're full of of just the cares of this world that are normal and it, it's not like that was wrong that you're filled it's just that the lord wanted to clear that out uh this weekend so if you sort of feel like you've lost that resonance that that life I just want to encourage you to come forward also, in addition to what Heather shared, come forward and allow the Lord to take out from, from those things that you're carrying within you and just handing it to him and letting him to return that life to you, that, that resonance, that joy, whatever it, it may be. So once you start coming forward, if you have any needs today, physical, spiritual, emotional, just come and get prayer and let's make sure everybody that's coming forward has someone praying for him. We'll need some uh, prayers, men and women. Why don't you come on forward and just begin to pray for these people. There's nothing worth more. There's nothing worth more than thank you, ever come close. Nothing can compare in our living home. We need more men and women to pray. Your presence, Lord. Good job. Thank you. I've tasted. Oh, man. I've tasted. You have no idea how much it means to me to have you here. Seriously, I love you so much. My heart becomes free, and my shame is undone. Your presence, Lord. Spirit and Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for to be overcome by your presence.
this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Your presence, Lord. Your presence, Lord. As we sing this chorus again, I just feel, even if you're in your seats this morning, just the Lord inviting all of us to come to him as his kids. I actually sang this song back in children's ministry with the kids after worship and and the Lord really just fell and it was like all the all the kids were just standing there with their eyes closed and their hands out and they were just inviting the presence of the Holy Spirit and the atmosphere in the room changed in a moment and I just really feel like the Lord wants to do the same thing for us as his kids this morning he wants us, exactly what Heather was saying, to let go of the stuff and just stand with him. And, and I just said, you know, kids, close your eyes and picture Jesus sitting on a throne. And I was watching them and they're like closing their eyes like this. And I could just tell they're picturing Jesus sitting on the throne. So as we sing this again, just if you feel comfortable, close your eyes. And if, if you've been around a while and you feel comfortable, just open your hands and invite the Holy Spirit right now to come and to break in to what, you're, what you need right now. So just invite him. Sing it with me, Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for to be overcome by your presence lord holy spirit you are welcome here come flood this place and fill the atmosphere your glory god is what our hearts long for to be overcome by your presence, Lord, your presence, Lord, we need you, Jesus, your presence, Lord, your presence, Lord. If you're getting prayer, just continue to get prayer. And for those of us, um, I just want to pray a blessing over us before we leave. Dear Jesus, just thank you. Thank you for all that you've done for us, God. All that is available to us because you are with us, Lord. You are our hope. You are our comfort. You are our joy. Thank you, God. We just pray a blessing over these people, over this wonderful church, God. Would you pour into us, Lord, more of what we need from you, God. Would you protect us? Would you watch over everyone that as they go throughout their day-to-day, -day, would they just constantly be reminded that they, they carry you with them, God? Mm. Just thank you, God, for all that you've done here today, and we just pray a blessing over everyone in Jesus' name. Amen.